Good morning. Welcome to what is kind of the first, well certainly this is the, the first week of the NFL season's kicked off and I know the Seahawks fans in here are really excited. We have a few Eagle fans but not everyone can be smart and so <laughs> I know, I know, I, that's true, that's true. You, you beat the Vikings so I should just shut up. Uh, and, and it's kind of similarly so, this is kind of like the first week as we see it for the church year. Uh, people are back from their vacations, Labor Day's gone. Uh, we were, just got back from our staff retreat, which we, we looked back on the, the year, and then we dreamed about this coming year, and it was a great time together. Um, I'll try to share a little bit more about that here in just a little bit, but uh, this is, this is a, an exciting start for sure. We had eight people baptized in the first service, which was just amazing, and we've got some more in the second, so that's, that's super exciting to see God working in that way, but now we're going to open up God's Word. Before we do that, um, will you join me in prayer? I want to ask for God to speak through me. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. You've preserved and protected everything we need to know about you and about ourselves. And I pray, Lord, as we open up your word and go to many different places, that you will speak through your word, through me. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say to me and to everyone here and to those tuned in online. God, please, may we listen with both ears and our heart and head wide open so that we will receive from you what you want to give us today, that which we need, and that which we can live out to glorify your name. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we've got a lot to cover, and, and it's got to be quick. I, thankfully, we're not quite as quick as the last service, because all the baptisms, we were just concerned that we were going to have a traffic jam out there, and uh, thankfully, it does not look like that was the case, and so I'm thankful for that. But we are starting, this is going to be a, a two-Sunday message and it was gonna be five but we kind of changed it up for or I had to kind of change a quick pivot for reasons I'll try to remember to explain here shortly but I was curious I'm gonna start as, as call me the grim reaper maybe a little bad news I don't know what you call it but let's just call it for what it is and that is the surgeon general back in May so not that long ago he spoke and he talked about a new epidemic anybody curious as to what the epidemic was that he had a, an announcement about and said that this epidemic was such a threat to our health and even our lives that it would be the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness. He called out loneliness. Now I suspect there might be some of you in here right now. Even though you're surrounded by a number of people, you would say, that's me. I feel lonely. Now, loneliness is not necessarily the same thing as being alone. Let's make sure we understand the difference. Loneliness is when inside of you, you want to connect with someone, but you haven't. And you sense inside of you, and, and, and it's, it's unavoidable, you are an image bearer. I'm an image bearer. Whether you like it or not, we were created in the image of God. And God has revealed himself as three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's an interdependent relationship, and they get along and are connected perfectly. And because we're created in that image, we have inside of us a desire 
I'm going to use a staff retreat word here. We have a craving for connection. And we can be around a lot of people. We can have a lot of friends on social media and still be one of the loneliest people we know. The answer to loneliness, my friends, is community. And community is kind of, it's defined as a group of people who are drawn together, who gather together because of some characteristic or characteristics. And this morning, what I want to do is start one week of a two-week message series in which we're going to look biblically at two very powerful drawing characteristics, gathering characteristics. Because the, the, the sense of closeness that you feel in a community is directly proportional to the significance for the characteristic by which you gather. Let me give you a fun example to kind of understand that. Let me compare Seahawk fans to soldiers. You see Seahawk fans, wear your Seahawk colors, you, you go to Seahawk games, you talk about, and when you see someone else who's a Seahawk, there's like this immediate connection. You can be in the airport, you can be at a restaurant, you can be here in church. And you have something to talk about. And, there, and there's kind of a connection there. And you, 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 know, you probably walk away from that conversation feeling good. But does that compare in any way to a soldier? With another soldier. Who says on the battlefield. I got your back. And I'll die to defend your back. I mean you, you can't even compare those two right? There's, 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 there's community in a sense. But one is much more powerful. Why? Because the purpose for which. That community exists is out of the stratosphere important. And, and that is the answer to our loneliness. It is community, biblical community. And we're going to look, like I said, at two very powerful gathering characteristics this morning. And the first one is purpose. Every single one of us is born with a sense and important about us and that we have something important to do which is why we're here and we go looking for that and, and we're driven by that and Jesus spoke about just such a purpose that has the, the strongest gathering power that exists and we're going to talk about that today and I'm thankful that he was clear with his purpose and this purpose, imagine if all of us, driven by the desire to know, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? It's like this itch that you just can't quite get back to on your back. If I could just get to it, and then someone gets to it, you're like, oh, you ever been there? Oh, right? Well, we're hardwired with that. And God uses it kind of like his homing device to, to, to draw us to him. Now, many people won't go there. And they'll forever be looking for their purpose in someone else or something else. And they'll always be trying to scratch the itch they'll never get to. But this morning, we're going to look at the first characteristic. That's, it's purpose. And what I'd like to do is we're going to look at a number of places in the scripture. But I want you to go to two of them. So if you would, get your Bibles open to your table of contents or your Bible app open to your table of contents. We're going to look at two books in the New Testament. And your New Testament table of contents, the very first book is Matthew. And I want you to find the page that corresponds to that. You'll get to chapter 1. We're actually going to look at chapter 28. And then the fifth book down is the book of Acts. And whatever page that corresponds to, I want you to mark that page. And you'll be actually at the page you need to be. And that is Acts chapter 1. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. 
What does Jesus have to say about purpose and why we're here? Matthew chapter 28, and then if you've set, let me read to you from Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, then were his disciples. These are words that Jesus spoke prior to going to ascend to be back with God in heaven. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We would expect authority in heaven. But Jesus is clear to say, and on earth. And this has come because he's been resurrected from the dead. He has conquered sin and death. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he is telling Christ followers, this is why you're here. This is what you are to do. Go and make followers of Jesus. You see, it's the answer to the problem. And the problem is the world then and the world certainly now, and in particular our country and our culture, is sick. There's a sickness. There's loneliness. Already mentioned it. We're going to address it. There's addictions. There's division. There's hatred. There's debt. There's insecurity. There are young people who are growing up very, very confused there's a breakdown in homes. It's a mess. It's sick. And we're given this purpose to go into that. Not to run from it. Not to hide from it. Not to hunker down and bunker down. But to walk into it. And then Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, Jesus, this is right before he ascends. To be with God in heaven. Which, let me just... What I'm going to say now, this is for free, won't charge you for this one, okay? Heaven. I think most of us think of heaven as somewhere far away or somewhere up. We think of it as a location. But I want to challenge you to think of heaven as not as a location, but a dimension. We understand four dimensions, height, width, depth, and time. You start talking about dimensions outside of that, which science has shown there are, mm, that's hard to understand. But we get lost thinking that heaven is way far away and Jesus is way far away. My friends, in his resurrected state, Jesus is as close to you as the person sitting next to you, even closer. He has gone into heaven, which is a different dimension than it is a location. And so just imagine everything you do, Jesus isn't watching from afar. He's right there. He's sitting right next to you right now. He's looking inside of you. He's looking inside of me. And he says, I have authority in heaven and on earth. Go. And then in verse 8, he says of Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even all the way to Puyallup and Graham. The ends of the earth. I just want you to feel the weight of just such a purpose. You see, Jesus has called Christ's followers to a very 
heroic purpose. We are to be sent out into the sickness that we at times contribute to and are wrestling with ourselves. And we're to point to the healer and we're to live our lives in such a way that the people are drawn to us so we can point them to him. And that is our purpose. And my friends, you will not find your, your, your micro purpose, if you will. You know, when you look at how you're gifted and what your passions are and, and what your experiences have been, and that, that'll help hone in on some things. But you will never find what that is until you fit it underneath the macro purpose, and that is to go and point to the healer, to our Savior. That is why you're here. That's why I'm here. That's why your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing. And the day that he is done with you doing that, he will call you home to be where he's always wanted you to be. And he will call me home in the same way. But until then, we have this incredible purpose that the world needs today. Our culture needs it today. Our children need it today. And it's ours. And this purpose, when we're all understanding, when we're all engaged, it has a strong gathering effect. It had a very strong gathering effect on those here in the first century. In Acts chapter 2, I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. You're in Acts chapter 1. Just flip over to Acts chapter 2 to verses 41 through 47. And I want you to think about this for a moment. People just like you and me, Jesus invited them to come. And they left. And they became, they went from the majority to the minority. Uh, they went from, in, in some cases, the oppressor to the oppressee, to the persecutor to the persecutee, to follow Jesus. And understand that the purpose was to go, as Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to send you out. I'm going I'm to get you and work through you to point to the healer. Because everyone around you needs it. Everyone in this room needs the healing of Jesus. I may be in the front of the line on that, my friends. And what results from that? Verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to those who were being saved. How does this happen? I'll tell you how it happens. When your life is changed by Jesus Christ and you realize I have a purpose in life and it is a heroic purpose in life, my friends, that purpose draws people in. It's a gathering force, if you will, kind of like soldiers who say, I got your back. That's the power and how we are united by purpose. This incredible purpose that we're given. And communities of Christ followers who come together, who are pursuing this purpose, you know what they're called? It's a fancy word for it. It's called church. They're called the church. Do you understand how important 
you understanding that and me understanding that is and what your purpose is and that you've been sent out. We have a world that desperately needs us to understand that and to live from it. And so about 10 years ago, almost to the day, almost to the day 10 years ago, at a staff retreat, we prayed and we asked God, how do we communicate in a memorable way in a simple way so that people are mindful in doing whatever they do that they have this incredible purpose and that they've been sent on this mission. And we came up with this, it's called AIM. If you've got an AIM card, I'm gonna ask you to get your AIM card because we're gonna spend the rest of the time looking at this card, believe it or not. And our mission statement coming out of that staff retreat was aiming to know Jesus and make him known. We felt like that really kind of encapsulated Matthew chapter 28. Aiming to know Jesus and make him known. Where aim stands for activate your faith. Don't merely believe. Don't just merely uh, you know, ascend to a set of precepts and principles and say, yeah, I believe that. I can, I can get the test question right. No, no, no. It's when you take what you believe and you put it into practice. And, and you step out and you act beyond how you know the outcome's gonna go. Or you act not sure how you're going to do, but you're trusting what God's word says. It's activating faith. It's impacting the world one person at a time. You have an opportunity wherever you are to impact the world through the person that you're around. And then the M, often overlooked, poor little M, is we are to multiply disciples. We are to pass on and and raise up fellow followers of Jesus in our homes, in church, in Bible studies, in in, uh, neighborhoods, wherever you can do that. And we thought that would help us to really remember what we're all about. We thought... We can remember aim. We can remember aiming to know Jesus and make him known. We can remember activate, impact, multiply. And as we're all doing that together, my friends, community is formed. And by community, I don't just mean fishing buddies, uh, vacation friends, people to go out with on the weekend. I don't mean that. Did, did, did you hear what I read in Acts chapter 2? I mean, that sounded like real authentic community where I would suspect that there was no one in that community that was lonely. You see, they were known and they knew others. And they were, they were galvanized together because of this purpose that they have being in the minority and, and walking out into a sick world. That'll, that'll pull you together quick. And, and that's, that's, our, that's our history. That's the heritage that, that we, at High Point, have. Imagine how faithful they were to their purpose. We're reading 2,000 years ago. They were so faithful to their purpose, so committed to their purpose, galvanized together to encourage one another so much so that guess what? In Graham, Washington, we're talking about something that happened thousands of miles away. And in many cases, some of us in here have completely surrendered our lives to Jesus because of what they passed on. 
and what we are asked to continue to pass on. But we didn't just stop at coming up with something fancy like aim. We really wanted to drill down on that. If you'll turn it over, I want you to see the, the statements. We developed eight statements. And 10 years ago, almost to the day, we introduced this. And every staff retreat, we just got back from it, what I asked each one of the directors to do is I said, I want you to run everything you do in your ministry through the eight statements. Measure and evaluate what you do in light of these eight statements. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where do you need to add? Where do you need to cut? And we spend, when we go on a staff retreat, if you look at our agenda, we start at nine in the morning with prayer. And we finish at night between 9.30 and 10. Which is why they're very upset that we would, in any, why would we ever call that a retreat? I give them some free time in there. There's some free time. But we really spend time. And we're just evaluating what we're doing through these eight statements. And I want us to go through these statements. You see the scripture passages associated with them. But I want, I want you to just feel the weight of these statements. And in particular, the, the passage of scripture. I want you to feel the weight of God's word more than our words. Okay? Our words come from God's word. It's our best effort to do that. But I want to start with Luke chapter 9 verses 23 and 24. I don't know if this was in your mind when you chose to follow Jesus. It was not in mine. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about, he, he's saying, you, you want to come, you want to follow. I, I remember, yes, because I was like, I, I thought Jesus was like the lifeguard. And I was in the deep end drowning. And I said, like, help me. And, and, and he didn't, in the, from, the, from the chair, go, okay, I'll help you if you understand this part of it too. No, he, he reached out and he saved me out of a really bad situation. And then as I was discipled, as someone took the purpose that, Christ had given them to make disciples, they pulled me into a room and they began to disciple me. And say, oh, hey, Kevin, let me let you understand when you said you chose to follow Jesus, let's talk about what that is. You gotta deny yourself. You gotta take up your cross daily, which means to sacrifice. And in so doing, he says, you're gonna find life that way. If you live your life for you and you to be served, like Jesus says, you will lose your life. And so from that statement we had, or from that verse, we wrote statement number one. We will reject the pursuit of comfortable, complacent Christianity and embrace the risk of following Jesus through a life of sacrifice and service. The church, the answer, or I should say the church has the answer and the answer is Jesus has been sent out into the sick world that we live in. And here's the sad part of that, is that the church, during the times that I just described, is in decline. I don't know what God's doing there. I do know we have the promise that Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail. The church has won. The people of God have, has, have won because of what Christ has done. Now how this is all playing out right now, I don't know. I don't know if God is sifting. I don't know if he is 
trying to allow for what people have always wanted and, and that number keeps growing. I don't want God. God says, fine, I will not force myself upon you. And then when you start making decisions apart from God, those who are followers of Christ will start to feel the pressure of that. And we will become the minority like they were in Acts chapter 2. And we will begin to feel the persecution and the pressure and the suffering and the sacrifice if we don't already. And maybe God's doing that to galvanize us, to strengthen us around the purpose for which we were given so that our witness and our carrying out that purpose is strong. Because a world that's going to hell in a handbasket needs us. But the church today is comfortable. It is complacent. And we're challenged in following Jesus to forsake that. Statement number two. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11. This is a chapter devoted entirely to faith and people of faith. And people of faith are drawn out as examples of, of faith by which we are to live. And in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Faith is important. And we need to activate it. It pleases God and God rewards us. Now, a little later down in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews just starts ticking off all these people of faith, showing the importance of it and the cost of it. And we're going to pick it back up in verse 32. And what more can I say? Time is too short. He's been going on and on. For me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to fight. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Yes, that is what I'm looking for. That is the faith that I want to be a part of. But then he goes on. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. <clears throat> Every time I read that. Those are the heroes, my friends. You talk about taking your purpose and understanding and living it out to that end. That's powerful stuff. And that is what our world needs. And out of statement two, or out of that comes statement two, we will be ignited by our faith, equipped by the Bible, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Statement number three is one that you've probably heard before, maybe. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Statement number three is we will be followers of Jesus who actively disciple others and embrace accountability for our spiritual growth from trusted mentors and leaders. My friends, most of the community today, as I've mentioned before, it is fishing buddies, lunch friends, but what the scripture calls for, what we read in Acts chapter 2, 
is this idea of accountability, of being accountable to people. Because we cannot in of our own doing be the people that God wants us to be. We're, we're, we're terrible judges of ourselves. We're blind to the things we struggle with, generally speaking, or we hide them enough that we try to even fool ourselves. But we need people who love us, who will speak truth to us in a humble, gentle, kind way, but they will speak truth to us. We need that in order for our purpose to matter. Statement number four, John 13. This is... Jesus, and initially when you read it, you're thinking, well, this is kind of weird. Um, he speaks of this new command, a, a command that if you read the Old Testament, you'd go, it's all over the place. How is this new? John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, I give you a new command. This is Jesus talking. A new command. Okay, love one another. Think about it. If you were sitting there, you're going, he must have misspoke. I mean, the Old Testament, the laws, we're, we're to love God and love others as ourselves. What? But he says, I want you to love one another. And then he adds, the mic drop moment, just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I kind of wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. Couldn't he have said, respect? Or if you, I want you to like one another. Or, or couldn't he have said, hey, people are gonna know that you are my disciples by how hard you work. By how honest you are. But he says, no, love. Okay, and then he goes, love like I loved you. Okay, now you're showing off. That, my friends, is sacrificial, unconditional. You get nothing out of it, love, for somebody else. And the Phi, the phi, uh, phi Beta Kappa of this is when he says, love your enemies. Do you see how radical that is? Do you see how that can truly be transformative if we're living that out? Do you see the purpose for which we have been called? Which leads to statement number four. We will be a friendly, loving community that pursues healthy relationships, acknowledges our brokenness, and extends grace to everyone. Statement number five, going deep, into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Mothers and fathers, please listen. This was a command that we as parents should honor. There's a lot of at risk. Verse number 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Mom and dad, pass your faith on. Do not be foolish and let your child choose. They are ultimately not your children. They are God's. They are created in his image and you have been entrusted with them and your purpose is to teach them and pass your faith on to them. Now they are free agents. They can choose to receive it or not and do not believe for a moment when Satan wants to attack you when your child rejects your faith and think what did I do wrong as a parent? Don't listen to that lie. It is not about you. Trust God and keep praying and keep living before them what you believe to be true. 
but pass your faith on. Statement five, we will equip, encourage, and support one another to build healthy homes, train the next generation, and assist in life stage transitions. Statement number six, 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verses 10 through 12. Paul writing to people just like you and me, he says, now the one who provides, now just like us in one sense, he's talking to, in, in, in many cases, to an agrarian society. Now, Corinth was kind of metropolitan, uh, but they certainly understood the importance of growing things. And much of their wealth was in what they grew. And so what he says is, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest. So you're thinking, okay, he's telling me I'm storing up seed, I'm growing wheat. Uh, he's going to give me more of that. He's going to increase the harvest of what? My, store, uh, my, my wheat? No, he says, of your righteousness. Why is he saying that? That's a spiritual concept. Well, here's why he says it. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. He's going to give you more and more so you can give more and more. You see, this idea of getting more and more, and some of you are amazing at generating wealth. You've been given a, a skill and a gift to make money, and it's wonderful. But my friends, it's not so you can keep stacking and storing and hoarding for yourself. Because the harvest that God wants for you is righteousness, which comes as you share it with people that are in need. Not for yourself. Statement number six, we will be known in our community and beyond as people of generosity and justice who partner with other churches and organizations to help bring the hurting and impoverished. Statement number seven, Jesus says in Luke 19.10, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. If we're following Jesus and if he came seeking out lost people, then that is what we've been sent in the world to do, is to seek out lost people. Statement number seven, we will engage and befriend people far away from God through our everyday lives and church-wide activities. We're doing our best to try to create opportunities for you to reach out to people that you know are far away from God and to engage them. We've done different things throughout the years. This year, I could not when the proposal during staff retreat in which everyone was clear and said, we want to do trunk or treat. I'm like, why do we want to do trunk or treat? And apparently we've never done it before. Stephanie's telling me everybody wants to do it. And so, my friends, we're doing trunk or treat. It's going to be on October 29th. And it's going to give you an opportunity here at the church, we've never done it, for, for you to invite people to come here and see that church people are not wackos we're not crazy we care about people in March during the time when you're always inside and it's dreary we're going to have a Christian illusionist come and we're going to blow this, the roof off on this one for you to invite people they're going to do multiple shows for us in here and the guy is amazing and he's a follower of Jesus and he works that in in amazing ways these are the things that we're doing why because our purpose is to go out 
And it is to engage in the community. It is to follow Jesus who went out seeking, not to hang out with religious people, but to chase down the lost. Statement number eight, lastly, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, it says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Statement number eight, we will pray boldly, humbly expressing our dependence and trust in God. Coming out of our retreat, and actually at the beginning of it, we, we kind of talked about it throughout in different ways. We have so many things we're excited about that we want to see in our church family and in the community happen. And we all have stories of people whose lives are shipwrecked, they're a mess. And that is a burden that you carry. I, I can't unforget where I know some of you are and the struggle you're having. It's painful. And, I, and for whatever reason, we just felt the helplessness. It's like, God, we, 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 we have these things. We want to do these things, but we're, we just feel helpless. We feel like we're, we're out of dynamite. We need to blow up something to, to make this happen. And we all kind of came to this idea. Pray. Pray boldly. And so we're committing this next church year to the year of prayer. And we're going to amp up and, and pick up our, our prayer game. And we're going to start having periodically prayer services. And we're going to have a prayer service starting October 1st, Sunday night here at, 10 or at 6 o'clock. And we're going to have them throughout. And we're going to pray more in the service. And we're going to challenge you to pray boldly, to call upon God and to ask from him what only he can give us so that we can make a difference in the purpose that he's given us. So before I give you the, the, the action step, I just want, want for a moment to go back to Acts chapter 2. And my friends, that what was going on there was much more than fishing buddies and social friends. There was no loneliness there. You see, adversity creates connection. And, and we're not that far away. Things are changing in such a way that, that the church is the minority. And what you believe and how you live will be looked upon by the majority as foolish, if not intolerant. And we're going to need each other to encourage one another, to resource and equip one another and say, go out there. Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Go. And maybe just that Acts chapter two community can be replicated where comfort and convenience was not at the top of the list. But Jesus and his message and pointing to the healer was and is and can be, okay? So homework is I just want you to take this home. I want you to put it somewhere prominently and would you just daily look at and, and just read each statement and read the verses associated and just kind of let the spirit and, and the word of God work in your head and in your heart and just see where that goes. Pretty simple, okay? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your patience with us. Thank you for the incredible purpose that you have given us that that scratches that eternal itch that we have that you've wired us with, Lord. And I pray that we will truly be the church and we will point to the healer for your glory in Christ's name, amen.